When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. And with Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen while you're on your commute or doing chores or walking the dog. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. And if you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, you can check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of Get Booked can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. As a bonus, if you sign up now, you will get five free audiobooks delivered to you on Bookstore Day, a one-day national party that takes place at bookstores across the country on Saturday, April 27th. And with each listen, you can take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 177, and we are recording on April 16th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. And apparently my tongue has decided that everything is a twist at this morning. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yep. <laughs> That's just fine. That's just where we are. <laughs> What are you reading, Amanda? I just finished last night, America is Not the Heart by Elaine Castillo, which came out last year. Um, and which I had heard nothing about. I hadn't heard of it ever at all until um, it was in the long list for the tournament of books this year. Um, and Elaine Castillo is a Filipino author living in ca- uh, California. She's uh, the daughter of immigrants. Uh, and the book is about a woman named Hiro um, who is lives in the Philippines. She joins the New People's Army, which is like the armed communist group uh, in the Philippines and is captured by the government and tortured in a camp for two years. And then she gets out and moves to the U.S. to stay with her uncle um, on an expired visa. So she's here illegally. And uh, it's just like, it sounds real sad, right? Like all of it, none of that is uplifting. And it's not necessarily an uplifting book. Like all that happens in the past. It's very flashbacky. And then we're with her as she's just like in California with her cousins and the community of Filipinos that are in this neighborhood where she's living um, while she kind of tries to like move on, you know. And she has a lot of outward injuries that keep her from being able to work or do a lot of heavy lifting and things like that. And like she falls in love with a woman who does hair. And it's just like very quiet and not, I don't know. I went into it. It's a book about, you know, PTSD and trauma and torture and war and and immigration. And I went into it expecting like, well, I'm just going to cry this whole time. But it's nothing like that. It's just like, weirdly chill. I don't know. I'm still, you know, I mean, I only finished it last night, but I feel like I'm going to be thinking about this book for a hot minute, many hot minutes. Nice. I'm still like digesting. Anyway, what about you? Um, I am reading a space yes. opera. It's called, because <laughs> yeah, obviously I am. It's called The Memory of Empire. It's by Arcady Martin. I think it's a debut, um, but it has an Anne Leckie blurb on the cover. So, of course, I was going to read it. Um, And it's like this big, you know, it's a little bit Aztec Empire, a little bit Roman Empire uh, that controls a ton of space. And the main character is from like a space station. And she's the new ambassador to the empire because the old one, like, is dead under mysterious circumstances. So she gets to court and there's all of these shenanigans going on and she's trying to, you know, play the game. Uh, So it is one of those very like, okay, who do we trust and who do we not trust and what's their motivation and what happened? And there's like interesting tech and it, it is definitely one of those 
space opera political shenanigans ensue books. So I'm very I'm I'm here for that. That's like a wheelhouse of mine. So I'm enjoying it thoroughly. Uh, so yeah, a memory called Empire, Arcady Martin. Recommend. Aztec meets Roman is like what? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very um. So you'll appreciate this, Amanda. There's a like a three part succession chain set up by the aging emperor, and I'm like, uh-huh. oh, I know what this is a <laughs> reference to. I know what we're talking about here. Like, I just saw Antony and Cleopatra. <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> I understood exactly. I am Captain America. I understood that. <laughs> Looking reference. around at everyone, so, I understood that, guys. Yeah. Anyone? Yeah. Exactly. So it's interesting. I'm digging it. Like all of the names are sort of, I don't even, very hard to pronounce, but it's very interesting so far. So good thing I only have to pronounce them (laughs) in my head. Uh, If you are listening to the show for the first time, this is, as we mentioned, a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you send us questions about what you should read next or what you should get for a friend or relative or what your book club should read next, any and all of those things. And you can send those questions either via the form that is at the bottom of the show notes for each episode on the site, or you can send them to us by email. It's getbookedatbookriot.com. If you have a specific date you'd like an answer back by, please put the date in the subject line of the email or very first line of the form, all caps, real big, so we try not to miss it. And if we don't think we'll get to it on air, we might email you a response. So keep an eye out for those. Let's see. Oh, right. And before we dig into our show today, I want to remind you all that we have a brand new podcast. It is about kids literature. So kids books, middle grade chapter books, early reader, all that good stuff. It's called Kidlet These Days, and it is hosted by Karina Yang Glazer, who is a longtime Book Riot contributor and now a New York Times bestselling author in her own right, and Matthew Winner, who is a children's librarian. So they know lots about this subject. And you can find that on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and all those good places. So, Amanda, will you read our first question and then away we will go? Heck yes, I will. I don't know. That was weird. Okay. (laughs) This question is from Megan, who says, I'm looking for a book for a friend. She's a very spiritual person and involved in her Christian church. She's a busy mom of teens and also runs her own business. So I I thought something with short chapters like When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams would be a good choice. I'm not sure she'd love that particular book. Maybe something a little more churchy. She's also a performer. She acts and sings at public events around town and in her church. I have no idea what other books she reads. I just want to get her something out of the blue to inspire her and make her feel good. All right. So before we give our answers, I want to tell you all about one of our sponsors. It is Care Of. And whether you're looking for more energy or better sleep, you can give yourself an extra boost this season with it. It can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking, but Care Of has an online quiz and you answer some questions about your diet and your health goals and your lifestyle choices. And then they will give you uh, personal scientifically backed recommendations for vitamins or protein powder etc. in just five minutes. And there are vegan and vegetarian supplement options available to match your dietary needs. I did take this quiz. I was very curious to see what was going to happen. Not going to lie. The quiz was very slick, very easy. It was pretty thorough without feeling invasive, I thought. And it did have gender options, including non-binary, which I appreciated. And at the end of it, it gave me a list of vitamins and supplements that are basically what I'm already doing in a combination of like what my doctor recommended and what I have found works. So it matched up really nicely. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. And it does things like ask you your comfort level with, you know, Eastern and holistic medications with experimental things. So you can say like, I do want that. I don't want that. You know, that kind of stuff. You can get really nitty gritty with with what you're interested in and what you're not interested in. So I was pleasantly surprised at how good this went. And it was really nice to see that I am like, given what I told it my goals were, I'm taking the right things. So again, that is care of and you can get 50% off your first care of order. So go to takecareof.com and enter booked 50. That's B O O K E D five zero. So takecareof.com, enter booked 50 for 50% off your first care of order. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Okay, so let's see. Uh, Something a little bit churchy and inspiring. What did you come up with? Okay, I picked For the Love by Jen Hatmaker. Um, The subtitle is Fighting for Grace in a World of Impossible Standards. Jen Hatmaker is such an interesting person. She was 
your kind of stereotypical middle class mom, church, pastor's wife, blah, 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 like speaker and writer and that kind of stuff. And then a few years ago, probably about five years ago, she came to the realization that the things that the evangelical church teaches about the LGBTQ community are garbage and started talking about that really publicly and got completely destroyed by like the church capitalist machine. Like Lifeway stopped carrying her books. Lifeway has since gone bankrupt in a karmic justice. So she had this big crisis and and, like has come out of it with much more interesting and humane theology. Um, And this book that she wrote, it's one of her more recent, I think it is her most recent one. And it's just like super chill church lady, which I feel like is a good pick for somebody who is like busy teenagers, you know, um, has her own business like your friend does. So the book is churchy. She is talking about um, like creating community, grace, the idea of grace, um, her, which she's like very much leaned into since her experience of being really publicly like shamed for her views. But it's also really down to earth. Like she's talking about, you know, making dinner for her kids. And it's 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 a collection of essays. So somebody who's really busy, um, the chapters are certainly not as short as they are in When Women Were Birds, but they're short enough that I feel like the book could really easily be picked up and put down. But it's not lightweight. Like when I say it's a, you know, a mom talking about doing church life, like it's not shallow or, or um, lighthearted even. Like she is talking about really serious theological issues, but how to work those out when you are, you know, a middle-class American. Like there, I remember there's one essay where she talks about like, when rich people and poor people are in the same room, you should always defer to the people with the least power. And that doesn't sound revolutionary, maybe to most of us, but from a Christian writer, that sort of thinking is pretty revolutionary or specifically an evangelical, um, which I don't know if she identifies as an evangelical anymore. But anyway, it's just, I think that it is a it, both an entertaining and a theologically interesting read for somebody who doesn't necessarily have a lot of time. Um, also. Hatmaker still like tr- speaks and goes on tour. She just did an event with Abby Wambach for Abby's new book um, in Texas. Amazing. I know, which like, could I go to Texas? Is a thing I was seriously thinking. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be in Virginia, right? Like, I could go to that. That would be amazing. So, yeah, you said your friend is a performer, so maybe she might like relate a bit to somebody who still goes out and does this sort of public events. So, yeah, that's for the love by Jen Hatmaker. My pick is kind of related. There's this like Texas yeah. posse <laughs> of women doing interesting spiritual and mental work. Uh, and so my pick for you is Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. She actually talks about that uh, Jen Hatmaker's experience in this um, in one section. But the subtitle of this is The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. And I have read almost all of Brene Brown's books at this point. And this is the one that I think is my favorite. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I love it so much because I think especially right now, there's a lot of complicated things going on in the world and in our lives. And it can be really hard to sort out your feelings from like how you think you should feel and how people are telling you you should feel. And, you know, what are your actual values? Uh, Whether or not you're in a spiritual community or religious community, like this is just the reality of our lives. And and I think it always has been, but we're really having to lean into it now. And it also talks a lot about like the bravery of standing up. And when you mentioned that your friend was a performer, it made me think of this because there's a lot of bravery and vulnerability involved in performing. And so I think she might appreciate a lot of what uh, Brown is talking about in this book. So it's all different chapters on sort of finding what it is that's important to you and, you know, appreciating the people around you and your relationships. And then what happens when you find yourself at odds with a community or a person you thought you were in sync with. And it sounds like pretty heavy, but she's such a conversational, amazing writer and also has so much, you know, she's like a social work background. So there's so much depth of research and experience to her to what she's talking about that I super appreciate. And I found it very readable. It is, I was looking at the chapters and there's nice like breaks within each chapter and the chapters are maybe 30 pages. So it's definitely something you could pick up and put down. You don't need to inhale the whole thing in one sitting at all. And it, I it, I do have it sort of on my shelf next to When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams. She's not as lyrical or poetic a writer as Williams is because who is? Um, but I think the feel feelings are similar. So, so that's why I picked it for you. So again, that's Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown.
All right, let's see. Our next question is from Melissa, who says, my mom is an avid reader and will be taking a Rhine River cruise this summer. She's a fan of historical fiction, enjoys multi-generational alternate timeline storylines, and loves to read work with setting as character before traveling. She's read several books by Leanne Moriarty, Kate Morton, Jennifer Robson, Fiona Davis, and Kristen Hanna. Doesn't shy away from heavy subject matter, but we both read Almost anything featuring a library or bookshop would love gift recommendations for her to read in anticipation of this trip. So I'm hoping for a setting along the Rhine River, Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland. All right. Uh, what you got, Amanda? I picked The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova, which goes all over Europe, especially Eastern and Central Europe. So the Rhine is like not necessarily main setting for the whole thing, but it's definitely, you know, you're like around it a lot um, throughout the course of the book, which takes place over several years. You said you like multi-generally, or your mom likes multi-generational alternate timelines historical fiction. And this book has all of those things in one. It is about Dracula, sort of, but it's also about historiography, sort of, and like mother, no, father-daughter relationships, also sort of. So all of these things in one big book. Um, It's about a girl, she's, I think, 16 when the book starts, who... Uh, is the daughter of a diplomat living in Europe and she finds a she's in her father's library like poking around and finds this like cache of really old crumbling letters um, all of which are addressed to my dear successor or like my sad successor it's just very dramatic and she starts reading through these letters from her father and they take her down this like bizarre multi-country several hundred years rabbit hole of his of the history of Vlad the Impaler, who was a medieval ruler, as we all know, um, a medieval ruler in I think it was the Wallachian Kingdom at the time, country that doesn't exist anymore, uh, Transylvania, you know, Romania, that area, who um, was super super violent and kind of led to the legend of Dracula. He is the, the historical figure upon whom we base the legend of Dracula. So um, she realizes that like there is more to this story than historians have heretofore told us uh and she goes on this search across like from every she goes to istanbul um eastern europe like i said a couple of like really dusty libraries and various ivy league universities like monasteries there's a bunch of stuff in this book about archives uh it's just like if you have that itch for any kind of finding historical treasures and mythological, you know, mythologically fascinating things in like dusty corners of ancient libraries where maybe, I don't know, like Nostradamus might've sat there, then this is probably <laughs> the book for you. Like if that thing revs your engine, then then this is definitely uh, one to pick up. And it is geographically relevant to um, the places your mom's going. So that's The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova. That's such a good one. I was having trouble with the geography of this question. And I went to ask the contributors for some thoughts. And both Liberty and Beulah recommended The Miniaturist by Jesse Burton, which I remember I was at the bookstore when this came out. And I was like, oh, yes, of course, that book. Um, It's set in 17th century Amsterdam. So geographically relevant. It takes place in the right, like I said, the 17th century. So 1680s. And the main character, Nella, uh, like arrives in Amsterdam to begin her life as the wife of a trade merchant. Uh, she's 18, uh, which is, I guess, normalish for that era, whatever. Um, but, but so she, she, you know, is in her new home. He's very rich, so everything looks very nice. But he's kind of always locked away in his study or at his office, and she's left to her own devices with his sister, who's very sort of forbidding and sharp-tongued and not the most welcoming person. And then he gives her a wedding gift that's a tiny, like, cabinet-sized replica of their home, basically a dollhouse. Um, And to furnish the dollhouse, she engages the service of a miniaturist who, you know, an artist who makes tiny little things uh for for things like this and something strange starts to happen uh like things that are getting made for the miniature get reflected in the real world in weird ways and so there's a mystery and love and betrayal etc etc uh so definitely a fun page turnery kind of book 
And I think that would be a solid choice for your mom. So again, that's The Miniaturist by Jesse Burton. Okay, question three is from Kayla, who says, my husband is deploying soon, and I'm putting together a boredom buster care package to send him. He's a huge Trekkie and avid reader, so I'd love to include a dude-friendly sci-fi novel or science uh, science nonfiction that is an incredible escape from the drudgery of being deployed. He's currently deep into watching The Expanse and loves it, gets really hyped about the new Who episodes, and has read almost every Star Trek novel ever written and has a bookshelf of, Euro- of European history. Any suggestions would be helpful. Okay, I keep going. Um, I picked Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee, which I will say should probably get a trigger warning for like body horror. Um, and if that kind of stuff squicks you out, there's a good bit of it in, in this book. Um, I don't think that Nine Fox Gambit or the subsequent books in that series are necessarily as hopeful as Star Trek. Um, nope. <laughs> not so, Super not nope. so much. Not so much. Uh, but it is like, it does have that epic kind of a few people on a ship that you're following, but what they do has these grand moral implications for everybody in that same way that like Star Trek kind of did. So um, this one is, I would call really hard science fiction. Like the whole universe is based on this really complicated physics um, that took me a while to wrap my head around. But once I got used to it, it was fine. Uh, and the main character's name is Kel. And she is a captain who wins a battle using what are considered heretical methods. Um, and the, like the religion of these universe is math. It's very odd. Um, so she wins a battle using these really kind of unconventional heretical methods. And so her government essentially disgraces her. And they give her the opportunity to get back into their good graces by retaking this fortress that has itself been taken over by heretics. Um, but in order to do this, she has to allow the like disembodied consciousness of a deceased military general uh, into her brain <laughs> to like help her do it because this is like the fortress is unassailable uh, and no one has figured out how to take it back. And so they've decided that like Kel is going to let this dude live in her brain and and help her out. The problem is Jadao, who's the um, dead tactician is maybe a little bit of a sociopath and definitely committed huge, like large scale genocide while he was alive. So that's upsetting uh, and might not turn out well. Question mark? Shruggy? Um, so it is super, super complicated and I think really engrossing in a way that like it's impossible to be bored because 15% of the time you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And then the other, what's math? I don't know, 85% of the time um, you're just like in for the ride. Um and the like weirdness of it it's just a fascinating fascinating book in in so many ways the world building is amazing like the 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 stuff that Yoon Holly comes up like for that they say to each other the way they talk to each other even though Jada was in her head it's just so good it's so good anyway so that's Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Holly I feel like very dude friendly which is not a thing I can define but I know it when I see it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's sort of classically military sci-fi. If that makes it doodly, question mark, could could be. Shruggy shrug. (laughs) Um, I picked Waypoint Kangaroo by Curtis Chen, which is one of the most fun books I read in the last year. And it is a sort of, like if James Bond were actually a pencil pusher who is not exactly like Mr. Bean levels of wacky, but like not not that great either. <laughs> That's what this is like, except in space. Uh, so Kangaroo is a spy, um, except he is uh, he is not really that slick. Uh, he's got a lot of agency training and he's got a lot of tech and toys and he thinks he's very clever and quick, quippy. Don't they all? <laughs> Yeah, don't they all? Exactly. (laughs) But what he has that sort of sets him apart is he has access and nobody knows why. This is basically a superpower that he has that nobody else has and they don't know why. He has access to this little tiny pocket universe. Like it literally is like a pocket he can stick his hand into and put things in and pull them back out. And as long as they can survive in the vacuum of space, they can, you know, he has access to them. So he can stash like weapons or whatever in this little pocket universe that he carries him around with him for whatever unknown reasons. And he bungles a mission really badly. And so he gets sent on quote unquote vacation <laughs> uh, on an interplanetary cruise to Mars. And he's really bad at vacation. So he's seeing like plots and mysteries everywhere. And it's like, is anything actually going on? Or is this guy just paranoid forever? Um, um, 
And then two passengers turn up dead and he's not supposed to be there in any sort of official capacity, but he can't resist looking into this murder. So it's a locked spaceship murder mystery with a spy who has a superpower. It like it's so much fun. I really enjoyed the heck out of this. The action sequences are great. The characters are great. You're constantly like with him on the what is actually going on? Is he right? Is he wrong? Like, who are these people? Who do you trust? All that good stuff. And it's the first in a series. Um, I don't believe that the others are out yet, but it could be, you know, future installments of uh oh, wait, the second one is out. I take it back. Kangaroo 2 also <laughs> out. So there's more what where that title. came from. I know, right? Kangaroo T O O. Um, there's more where that came from if he likes it. So I think I but I think he will enjoy it. And I can see this getting passed around like as a good one for other people as well. So again, that's Waypoint Kangaroo by Curtis C. Chen. Okay, next question is from Alexis, who says, I'm hoping for Rex for Science Books by Women of Color. I love Mary Roach and all she's written. I've enjoyed uh, other authors. The only science books I've come across were written by white people. Can you help me? I prefer more narrative nonfiction if possible, as in no textbooks, please. At this point, although physics is my main jam, I'm open to reading about any scientific field. Uh, what you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked Pandemic by Sonia Shaw, who is a science journalist, uh, mostly for the New York Times, but also the Wall Street Journal. And can I just say that this, mor- this morning, I read an article about how the rate of measles has quadrupled this year. And then I started remi- like reading the reviews of Pandemic to remind myself because I've read it like two years ago. And now I'm just terrified. Now I just live in this office and I'm never, never leaving. So that might happen to you when you go to read this book. You might be like, I'm done. That's yeah. it. I live in a plastic bag now. <laughs> so Pandemic, as you can imagine, is about uh, germs, mostly cholera. She also talks about Ebola and uh, MRSA. Um, which I don't remember what that stands for, but like antibiotic resistant staph infections, which are a big problem, especially around hospitals. And the book is framed both as like a history of disease. Like she talks about how cholera developed and where um, it was like where it first emerged and then how it traveled across the world. Um, And she frames it also a bit as like a memoir. Like she wraps in a little bit of her personal life, mostly about her own family um, dealing with, MRSA like her and I think it's her one of her children gets a a MRSA infection and of course like fighting that is really really difficult um so it's historical present day she's also talking about the future because most um epidemiologists do predict that we are going to in the near future have some kind of worldwide pandemic and nobody knows where it's going to come from like maybe it'll be a maybe it'll be the measles because people won't vaccinate their kids uh maybe it'll be like you know, Ebola might come back, or it could be some new bug that no one's ever discovered. And she talks a lot about, um, like, new germs that are being discovered in New Delhi and coming out of like the wet markets in China, and also um, in our in, you know, the suburbs of the US, and uh, what scientists are trying to do to figure out how to fight those newly emerging bacteria and viruses before they become so big that there's no stopping them. So it's a little bit terrifying, a little bit terrifying, maybe a little bit more than a little bit terrifying, but it's so interesting. And it's not, I mean, it's not completely hopeless. Like she's not saying, Hey, we're all going to die from, you know, Ebola. Um, It is both like a warning, I guess. Like she, she doesn't sugarcoat what's happening right now, especially with like, you know, our overuse of antibiotics and all those sorts of things. I don't know, like, it's not fear mongering, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's very matter of fact, uh, but also not overblown to the point that like, I'm actually going to stay in my office forever. I do want to, though. I do want to. Um, (laughs) But it's super, it's just so fascinating. I love how she wraps the history of some of the bigger, bigger contagions into the book uh, with her personal experience dealing with a contagion that's really, really difficult to fight. Um, So yeah, it's just really good. So that's Pandemic, Tracking Contagions from Cholera to Ebola and Beyond by Sonia Shah. I love that book. Also, Temple University has had a mumps outbreak with 170 cases. And I am just so grateful to my parents for doing vaccinations. Like what year is it? I don't know. It's bananas. (laughs) Anyway. uh, Okay, so my pick for you, which seems a little bit 
perhaps obvious, but you didn't mention it, so maybe you haven't gotten to it yet. It's Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly. And I think that the physicist in you will appreciate a lot of this because it's about NASA and the space program. And specifically, there were a ton of African-American female mathematicians who worked for NASA, which a lot of folks, including me, did not know about, uh, and, and contributed in enormous and essential ways to the program generally and specifically to getting that first mission to the moon. And Shetterly uh, grew up in the community that sort of was like her parents were in um, mathematics and science fields. And she sort of a little bit knew about this, um, but it became increasingly clear to her that, you know, these stories had never been told and there was so much more to tell. And so this book is really interesting because it's both a personal story about, you know, her growing up in this community and, you know, discovering new things. And then also specifically the lives of these women, uh, the uh, computers, as they were called, uh, who had, you know, just an enormous contributions to the space program and were never acknowledged. And I learned so much about science history in this book that you would think that we would just know, right? Like we we hear about NASA all the time. At least I did growing up. You don't hear about it as much these days, I guess. But um, I heard about NASA all the time growing up and I knew the names of the astronauts and all of this stuff. But I had never thought about any of the people sort of in the background doing the calculations and designing the rockets and the airplanes that would test the things. And of course, you know, there's, a, there's so many more people involved than just the headliners. And to see the history of African-American American women and their role in that was fascinating. She's a really good writer. She really brings these historical figures to life. And the way that she ties it in to her modern day life is just so well done. It's so good. Uh, and obviously, you know, there's the movie, but I do recommend reading the book because it's just so interesting. It's so, so, so interesting. So again, that is Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly. Okay, before we get to our next question, I'm going to talk about our second sponsor, which is, what is it? I don't know. It's The Eighth Sister by Robert Dugoni. So Robert Dugoni is a New York Times bestselling author, and this is a thriller of espionage, spy games, and treachery. <laughs> Jazz hands. <laughs> when his former bureau chief shows up with a new assignment that takes him undercover to Moscow, Charles Jenkins, who's a former CIA case officer, you know, jumps at the opportunity, but when he finds the mastermind behind the assassinations of a U.S. spy cell, he begins to question everything that he was led to believe, because don't they always question everything they were led to believe? In a deadly game of cat and mouse, Jenkins executes a daring escape, only to find himself abandoned by the agency he served. The mission is over. Now the ultimate betrayal begins. Interestingly, this book uh, is available for, for free, excuse me, for free for Prime members. So if you're an Amazon Prime member and you like thrillers and espionage tales, you go check that out. That is The Eighth Sister by Robert Dugoni. Okay. Question five is from Kristen, who says, assuming most people who do horrible things are not inherently evil, but good people who do bad things, I'm interested in reading a book that explores how a person grapples with the realization that a person they love or admire has done something truly shameful. I'm not looking for a book about someone who started off doing horrible things only to redeem themselves. I'm interested in the opposite. The book can be fiction or nonfiction and does not have to be about politics or sexual misconduct. I'm just looking for how someone deals with these difficult circumstances, their feelings and ethics and the ethics of it all. Um, please nothing with a rushed or unrealistic conclusion. In fact, there doesn't even need to be a conclusion. I don't know that there's really a right answer or ending in the real world, so I don't expect a book to have one. Okay, um, I picked We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver, who I will say, like, as a, this is not a trigger warning, but just as like, a, I don't know, full disclosure, Lionel Shriver is a very problematic author who has said a lot of really goofy things about race and sexism publicly. So if you have an issue with that, or like don't want to financially support authors who say things like what Lionel Shriver has said, maybe just get the book from the library or find it at a used bookstore. So that's, yeah, we need to talk about Kevin. I feel like is it one of the not foundational, but like a really big book about bad people or people who have done bad things in the aftermath of what happened. So the main character's name is Eva. Eva? I didn't see the movie, so I don't know that I've ever said it, like heard it said out loud. I'm going to go with Eva, um, who is the mother of a boy, a teenage boy who's 15, Kevin, who has committed a massacre at his school. And 
the book is told through a series of letters that she's writing to her estranged husband about their son and the events leading up to him committing these really horrible crimes. She didn't really want to have children. When she got married, her husband kind of pressured her into it. So she agreed to have this kid. And from the beginning, like from the jump, like while she was pregnant, she felt like something was off about the child. And then when Kevin is born, she doesn't see him doing. See, this is the thing about this book. He, she assumes or intuits that he is doing a lot of really horrible things, like maiming his sister, like trying to poison people, like very violent, creepy, unsettling things. She doesn't ever really see him doing it. But the circumstances that she describes, you know, kind of lead you to believe that Kevin is essentially a sociopath who is really violent, but is also very charming and um, manipulative and is convinced almost everyone around him that he's perfectly normal when he's very obviously not. And then he goes and he does this terrible thing. And the question the book is really asking is like, is that real? Like, is Ava, Eva, whatever, is Eva's um, perception of her kid real? Like, was he actually a bad seed, you know, from the jump or... Was he just a normal kid who she projected some stuff onto because she never wanted him in the first place? And like what combination of those two things led to a a child who commits a really, really terrible crime? So it doesn't, there's no neat answer here. Like you were saying, like it's very messy and painful and terrible. And what you decide about who Kevin is and how much fault is his is really dependent on how much you do or don't like the mother from the beginning, which is a really interesting like way of telling that kind of story. So like, if you like her and trust her from the beginning, you end up believing that Kevin's a sociopath. If you dislike her for whatever reason at the beginning, then you like question everything she's ever done. And then she becomes this really typical kind of like bad mother in fiction. It's just really interesting. And, and like, a, I don't know, a really relevant, I guess, lens through which to study this question of like, what do we do with people who we love who turned out to be maybe monsters, you know? So that's We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Schreiber. I wouldn't normally do this, but I just wanted to shout out a book that's not out until October 22nd because it so perfectly fits this question. It's All This Could Be Yours by Jamie Attenberg. And Messy and Painful is such a perfect way to describe this subject. This is about a family who the father was a like supposedly a real estate developer actually you know pretty much from the beginning that he was involved in all kinds of shady stuff and was a bad person an abusive husband and father and he is has suffered a stroke and is dying and the family is reuniting and you get all of these different perspectives of people around him on how they feel about him and how he's impacted their lives and how they in turn have like internalized or not internalized or externalized or projected, you know, their baggage onto their own lives and their own kids. And you see his wife's perspective and, you know, you just get all of these different perspectives around this person who some of them genuinely still did love. And like, what does that look like and why? So it's very much what you're talking about. And I just wanted to mention it again, not out until October, but uh, that's all this could be yours by Jamie Attenberg. And then there's another book that is basically exactly this um, that Liberty was talking to me about. It's The Best Kind of People by Zoe Whittle, who I've recommended before. Love her work. Haven't read this one yet, but it's on my TBR. Um, and it is about a man named George. Oh, this is trigger warning for sexual impropriety and child abuse. Okay. So it's about a man named George uh, who was, like, as by all accounts, a very beloved teacher and husband and father. And he is arrested for sexual impropriety at a prep school. And so his wife is like, you know, going between denial and rage. The community is turning on the family. Uh, Their daughter, Sadie, who's a high school senior, um, becomes a social pariah. And their son, Andrew, who has grown, is assisting in his father's defense, but also has all of these memories of his own teen years that are complicating things. And, you know, a local author is trying to write about them. And then a men's rights activist, like, comes in to try to get involved. And, you know, you can basically imagine the circus that surrounds a case like this and a family like this. And so all of the members of the family are sort of wrestling with this question of what do they believe and what happened and how people are responding to them and to the situation and what on earth do you do? Um, And Liberty said it was really, really well handled. So again, that's The Best Kind of People by Zoe Whittle. 
And the next question is from Ashwin, who says, I'm looking for a contemporary fiction featuring a queer protagonist dealing with his sexuality. I would prefer the protagonist to be from the Indian subcontinent or at least an Asian. I usually prefer YA novels, but any genre that entwine its narratives with themes of sexuality, gender, and cultural backgrounds are welcome. What you got, Amanda? All right. Um, I picked Funny Boy by Shyam Salvadori, which takes place in Sri Lanka. Um, and is about a boy named Arji coming to terms with his own sexuality as the civil war of Sri Lanka is occurring. So, you know, when the colonialist forces in Sri Lanka were removed, there's this big power vacuum. And so different factions of the government um, go to war. And Arji lives in a fairly uh, like comfortable family uh, financially. So they feel a little bit removed from all of the violence when the book opens. And this is when he's younger and is first starting to realize that he is, you know, as the title implies, kind of funny. Like he want, he doesn't like to hang out with boys and he wants to wear dresses and he wants to do all of these very stereotypical, quote, girl things. Um, and his family is just kind of like, Meh, okay, like pat, 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 like he's just odd and he'll grow out of it. But he doesn't grow out of it. And the older he gets and the more kind of metaphorically violent his relationships with his family becomes as he realizes that he's gay the more the violence outside of his home rages louder and louder and begins encroaching on their own on on their lives like it comes closer and closer it's a very like simply written book kind of prose wise actually kind of a lot like america's not the heart like i talked about at the beginning of the show in the way that like he's just letting these issues stand on their own like there's no need to get like flowery and really write these like really heartbreaking sentences necessarily because the things that you're reading about are heartbreaking in and of themselves and it's just really interesting reading about his family's reaction to him doing stereotypically feminine things as a younger kid and then how as he gets older and older and they realize that it's not changing like how they get more and more worried and like awful (laughs) at him and the ways that he goes about managing that while also managing the very real threats of like what's happening uh, in his country so that's funny boy by shyam salvadori I picked No One Can Pronounce My Name by Rakesh Sachal. And I loved this book, y'all. I just finished it on a plane last week. And it starts in a pretty rough place and then ends in this really lovely place. So the journey you go on is wonderful. It takes place in a suburb outside of Cleveland in a community of Indian Americans. And like some of them feel very comfortable uh, and some of them do not. Um, And the book opens with Harit, who is a man in his mid 40s and he lives with his mother they immigrated to the states uh, i think when he was younger i don't remember the exact age um but his sister his beloved sister who was sort of the son to the family solar system has died recently and sort of tragically and his mother has sort of shut down and is not really communicating. And in a strange attempt to sort of bring back Svati, uh, he has started dressing up as her at night and like trying to pass himself off as his sister to his mother to sort of comfort her and him. And so that's intense. And you're like, what is going on there? And then Ranjana, um, who is married and has just seen her son off to Princeton, uh, is sort of a little bit like having an empty nest moment. She's also writing and is like, has like secretly joined a writer's group. And, you know, one night while she's on the computer doing searches for her writing, she discovers some stuff on the computer that leads her to believe that her husband might be having an affair. So that's not great. And you also get uh, the perspective of her son, Prashant, who is, uh, at, like I said, at Princeton and sort of dealing with being this like first generation, second generation split and what he wants and who he thinks he is. And he's, you know, very smart and very socially awkward, but aware of it in a very specific way and doesn't want to be. And so he's like trying on what it means to be a man. And Hart works at this department store and has a very flamboyantly gay uh, white co-worker and you, named Teddy and you get some of Teddy's perspective. And it just, it switches perspectives really beautifully. And it was always a surprise of what perspective I thought I was going to get and then what I actually got. 
Um, and Ranjana has this great subplot with uh, a, a, a she works in a medical office and a young man, a young Indian American man who is clearly gay comes in and like starts to, you know, interact with her um, looking for sort of an approval from a m- mother figure. And it just really digs into all of these questions of gender and identity and who you how people respond to you when you are an immigrant or a brown person in America and how comfortable comfortable you feel in your role in your own community in your own life and it it's it's got a lot of really tense or sort of really heartbreaking moments but like i said it's a beautiful trajectory and the book ends in this really lovely place and there's just so many amazing characters and so much interesting stuff going on and i will also say that if anybody is listening who is like you know in a writers group themselves or as an aspiring writer the scenes in Regina's writing group and then they go to a writing conference had me in stitches it was so like such a perfect sort of skewering of what that can be like uh so this book has so much going on for it I loved it um so again that's no one can pronounce my name by Rakesh Sajjal all right our last question is from Heather uh who says I'm looking for book recs for my husband and I to listen to or read we have two small children and both work full-time so we often find ourselves in a rut of only talking about whose turn it is to do the dishes or bathe the kids We've discovered that reading the same book separately gives us something else to talk about. My husband prefers audiobooks, and I usually like ebooks or physical books. Books that we have both read and enjoyed are the Waking Gods trilogy, Sabriel, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, Broken Earth trilogy, Between the World and Me, and Binti. We both enjoy fantasy and sci-fi. I tend to lead towards mysteries, and my husband leads more toward contemporary fiction. He doesn't like mysteries because as a former cop, he also critiques their methods. We are also an interracial couple, so bonus points for books with lots of racial diversity. Okay, I picked Leviathan Wakes by James S.A. Corey, which is the first book in the Expanse series. And I picked this despite the fact that one of the main characters is a police officer. I'm so sorry to your husband. But he's a terrible cop, and that is acknowledged from the beginning. So, like, <laughs> page one, this d- boy is terrible cop. Like, you're fine. I don't think he's going to get, you know, uh, feel like he needs to critique the guy's methodology because, well, it's a, it's space. Um, so it's, like, not really the same as the kind of police work that he's probably used to doing. Um, but also, he's just terrible everyone knows he's terrible it's fine so it doesn't need to be you know critique so this does take place in space in this universe if you haven't seen the show humanity has colonized most of the solar system definitely mars and some like outer parts of the asteroid belt and when the book opens you're on this uh ice miner basically which is a spaceship that you know mines ice obviously to bring water to the other um space stations in the solar system and jim holden is the commanding officer and he and his crew, which is made up of a very diverse set of characters, stumble upon this ship that's floating dead in space. And so they go to investigate it and see if there are any survivors. And when they get aboard the ship, they find this really terrible secret that isn't just does doesn't just impact them. It like impacts several government systems and like everyone in the solar system essentially. And so they go on the run. Um, while that's happening, you're also following Detective Miller, who is the cop, who is terrible. Terrible cop is his name. And he has been assigned this job of finding this one girl um, who was holed up in his this little space station that he lives on, um, who is the daughter of very wealthy parents who's like left that life and gone on the run, you know, done that like rich girl on the run thing. Um, and so he, they, ha- they have a lot of money. And so he is they've like dumped the money into this police force uh, to find their daughter. Um, so that's his job. And while he's off looking for this girl, he kind of gets feels like he gets to know her. Um, he goes through her stuff, reads her email, you know, feels like a connect, like a weird connection to this girl. And as he's told by the government or by his, um, not the government, by his chief, I guess, in the police force to eventually give up on the search because they have other bigger problems to deal with, he refuses to do it. Um, and as he continues to search for the girl, it leads him to Jim Holden and the uh, crew on the run. Um, so he gets wrapped up in this big, you know, interplanetary, mystery so there is a mystery to solve there is lots of adventure um there is a couple an interracial couple i remember yeah 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 there's an interracial couple in the book and the cast of characters is really diverse um and it's you know it's the expanse so it's like this huge really popular tv show so if after you read the book and you like it you could go watch the show also this is the first book in a really pretty long running series so there's lots to read together if that's the thing you want to do so that's leviathan wakes by james s.a Corey. 
I picked, based on your enjoyment of Waking Gods and the Broken Earth trilogy, I picked Rosewater by Todd A. Thompson, which is so good. Uh, it is the start of a trilogy. The first two books are out, and it is available in audio. I double-checked. And this is like a bonkers alien invasion story. And the main character in this one, Caro, is a government agent, but he is not a cop and he doesn't even want to work for the government. Like he has he has been required to work for the government because he is one of the segment of population that has acquired telepathic powers basically through alien fungus. Like an alien something has landed on Earth, burrowed into the ground and like created a dome a biodome and nobody can get into it or near it generally speaking and it releases things into the world sometimes they are alien creatures sometimes they are alien fungi like this is just what's happening you know it's it's fine it's fine and parts of humanity have responded in different ways to these alien matters and including getting telepathic powers Sakara has those he is required to work for the Nigerian government he does not particularly want to but here we are he also has like a covered day job at a bank um, doing telepathic security which cracked me up like they there's this great scene at the beginning where they're literally reading the Count of Monte Cristo to provide like psychic chatter that will block hacking attempts taking place on the psychic plane like how amazing is that so good um and Caro is actually kind of a jerk like you you're there's these moments where you're like I would not have a beer with you sir like I would not would not however he's super fun to read about and and the character like Thompson knows that this character is a jerk and several people throughout the book call him out on it. So it's not like he's just like allowed to be a jerk. He gets called on it. Um, But what happens, the plot of this book is that something or someone is killing these people who have acquired telepathic powers and Caro is pretty sure he's next. So he has to figure out why these other people are dying and how he can protect himself. And the book is split up into a couple different timelines of his life. So you sort of see him at a younger place um, and then a middle place and then a present place. And they all sort of interact and unwind together. And it, I will say that occasionally I was like, wait, what? But it all comes together really nicely. So if you hang in there through the confusion bits, which I feel like, you know, especially the first book of the Broken Earth trilogy, the way that those narratives sort of interact with each other, like you're prepared, you'll be fine. It's not the same structure, but it is not dissimilar. And it's just such an interesting, weird, crazy action-y, science fiction-y book. Like, it's not like anything else that I had read for quite some time. And the second book follows a minor character who literally I finished this book and was like, okay, if Aminat is not like a POV character in the next book, like, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to somebody. And she was. And I was so excited. So the second book is out. I've read it. I loved it. So there's more if you are into it. Um, And as a bonus, if you do end up reading or listening to it and want a more further discussion of it, because it is so bonkers, we did a whole book club episode around it on the SFF. Yeah channel podcast i mean it is a podcast channel i guess um and i will leave a link to that in the show notes for you so again that is rosewater by toddy thompson and that's our show yay Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, please do leave us a rating and a review if you are so inclined on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show, juices that algorithm, and we do love to see the feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors for making the show possible. You can find us on social media. I am on Twitter as Jen IRL and Bookstagram as I am Jen IRL. And that's Jen with two N's. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. That's where I am on Instagram. Thank you. <laughs> And we will talk to you next time. Bye.